Hey, peeps and creeps. We wanted to introduce you to another true crime podcast for when you're all caught up on true crime creepers, you're looking for something else to listen to. They're called Coffee and Cases, and I think you'll really like them. So here is a little bit more about them. Greetings from the Bluegrass State. That's Kentucky, if y'all didn't know. We want to tell you about the hottest new podcast on the block, Coffee and Cases. If you fancy yourself an at-home detective. If you find yourself yelling at the TV during that new true crime documentary. Then you, my friend, are a certified sleuth hound. Just like us. On Coffee and Cases podcast, you'll hear about the missing, the murdered, and the unsolved. But the cases you've rarely, if ever, heard about. All from the perspective of two teacher friends, rule followers, and self-proclaimed scaredy cats. Join me, Allison, and me, Maggie, each week as we take on cases that are often overlooked but are screaming for justice. Finally, a true crime podcast where you don't have to monitor the foul language. Coffee and Cases is a true crime guilty pleasure that you don't actually have to feel guilty about. Check out Coffee and Cases every Thursday for a new episode on your favorite podcasting app. I'm full of tacos. Just thought you should know. I'm full of tacos and I had a nap, so you get what you get and you don't throw a fit on this episode. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Moga, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. All right. So I love, Mogap how last week, when you made yourself in charge of housekeeping, but really, yeah, wasn't it great? You just talked about a bunch of nonsense, like how you've never committed a crime and how a five-year-old wants you to go to his birthday party and absolutely okay. nothing about our merch. Okay. And well. this is why you're not in charge of housekeeping. <laughs> so way to go. Whatever. You failed the podcast. You can talk about merch all you want, but your ass don't ever ship it out. So <laughs> um, who's done all the shipping? 100% <laughs> of the shipping has been this girl right here. On your own timeline, sis. (laughs) So I am back in charge of housekeeping with a reminder that we have merch. You can find the link in our show notes, as well as on our link tree on Instagram, on the Facebook page, in the Facebook group, everywhere. Also, we have a Facebook group, so come and join us. Great place to go to give case suggestions or chat about true crime or just say hi. So come join us there. It's also a great place to shout out whose housekeeping you prefer more. So. Yeah. Go ahead and look, they're going to prefer your housekeeping because it's entertaining. However, mine is important to the actual progression and growth of this podcast. Keep it tidy. (laughs) Keep it neat. (laughs) This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. 
Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. Uh, all right. Are you ready for this one, Moga? I don't think people are ready for this one. I just need everyone to know that Kristen has consumed. Go ahead with your infomercial about your energy drinks. Mm. Kristen's on a new journey. Look, I'm just feeling good. You know, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. <laughs> We're all good here. That's good. That's good. (laughs) I'm feeling extra sluggish given the amount of tacos I consumed. Yeah. You're going to be feeling uh, extra, extra sluggish here in about, I'm going to guess, three minutes or so. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, love that for me. Okay. Tell me. All right. I have to preface this because I'm sure 90% of the people listening know this case that I'm about to tell you. (laughs) But I just have to preface this. And say, uh, no, I checked with you, and you don't know it. You had never heard of it. Okay. Mogab does not know this case, everybody. This is very exciting for me. All right. (laughs) Is it? Because I haven't known any of them so far. (laughs) I knew Firefest. I know, but I'm thrilled to be the one to tell you this one. I really am. Oh. I really am. All right. Okay. It was May 31st, 2014, in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Waukesha is a suburb of Milwaukee. It's the biggest suburb around with about 70,000 residents, lots of families, good schools, lots of parks. Nice place. Lots of things. Yeah. It was the first nice day of the year, and it was absolutely beautiful that day. A man named Greg Steinberg had decided to ride his bike, something he did pretty often. But that day, he decided to take a different route. And he was riding near some woods at the end of Big Bend Road when he saw something lying on the ground. A bear? No bears in this story. As he got closer, he saw it was a girl around Mm. middle school age. She looked hurt. She had blood on her. And he could tell that she had stab wounds. (gasps) He had no idea how many. He could also tell that she was having trouble breathing. (gasps) Greg quickly grabbed his cell phone and called 911. The call came in just before 10 a.m. and let them know about the girl and that it appeared that she'd been stabbed. The 911 operators couldn't believe what they were hearing. The only other call they'd had that day in Waukesha was someone rearranging the letters on a business's marquee sign. (laughs) I don't know what they rearranged it to. (laughs) Okay, well, (laughs) glad that you've figured out what I was going to (laughs) ask. Initially, when Officer Dan Klein got the call, he figured the girl probably just fell off her bike and scratched herself. Like, no way was she actually stabbed. Like, how weird. You don't get stab wounds from falling off your bike. But he just thought it was a mistake. Like, somebody misinterpreted Mm -hmm. something or, you know, they were just wrong. Because how could you be stabbed in Waukesha, Wisconsin? You're a young girl. Of course. Of course. But he arrived on the scene before paramedics. And the closer he got, the more blood he saw. But she was able to give him some information. 
Her name was Peyton Lautner, and she was 12 years old. (gasps) Officer Dan asked where this happened, and Peyton said in the woods. He asked who did this to her, and she said, my best friend, Morgan. (gasps) They'd soon discover that she was talking about Morgan Geyser. Morgan Geyser was 12 years old. Officer Dan asked Peyton how long the knife was, and she held up her fingers about five inches apart, and she was just talking about the blade. Paramedics arrived shortly behind Officer Dan, and they removed her clothing, got her on a gurney, and into an ambulance. They rushed her into the ER, where doctors discovered her blood pressure was dangerously low, her heart was working in overdrive. She was a 12-year-old girl struggling to survive. It was immediately apparent that she'd been stabbed multiple times in the chest, abdomen, arms, and legs. I thought you said this one this week wasn't that bad. Does that mean before you change your mind? No, this is the one. (laughs) This is the one that's not that bad? Yeah. Oh my god, gotta get you some help. (laughs) At the hospital, detectives were able to confirm that it was Morgan who had done the stabbing, and there was another girl in the woods with them. How did they confirm that at the hospital? With Peyton. Oh, so they're just taking her statement. Mm Mm-hmm. Detectives went to Peyton's house. They told her mom, Stacy Lautner, that Peyton was alive, but that she'd been stabbed. Her mom was shocked. She didn't know what to think. She had no idea. Like, was it an accident? Had the girls been playing with a knife? How did she get stabbed? She asked the detectives if the wounds were superficial, and they said they didn't know. And just a side note, especially for people that know this case pretty well, Peyton has been called Bella since about the first grade by her friends. Apparently, there was another Peyton in her class, so she was Bella. But in the documentary, her family refers to her as Peyton. So I'm just going to refer to her as Peyton and not Bella. And she goes by Peyton now. So we will call her Peyton. Okay. Do her friends, like, in the documentary and stuff call her Bella? Is that? Yeah, like, Like, they. Okay. Yeah. Stacy made it to the hospital just before Peyton went into surgery. She was terrified. She was crying. She couldn't breathe. Stacy just kept telling her, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. But she could see that she was covered in stab wounds. She didn't know if Peyton would be okay. She said while she was with Peyton, all she could hear were the nurses talking, saying, I got seven on her leg. I got five on her arm. <gasps> oh, my God. I am flipping out. And then a nurse said, I count 19 total. She'd been stabbed 19 times. And her mom is hearing this? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, don't they take you out the room? I'm panicked. I know. The surgeon at the hospital that day saw a particular stab wound in her chest. He said if it had been any deeper, like the width of a human hair deeper, she would have died within a minute or two. (gasps) I, like, don't even... I know. Detectives decide they have to go to Morgan Geyser's house to try and get some answers. Uh, yeah? (laughs) And hopefully find Morgan and the third girl. They speak to her mom, to Morgan's mom, Angie, and they find out that the girls had all slept at her house the night before for Morgan's 12th birthday party. They'd been planning it for weeks. On the guest list were Morgan's two best friends, Peyton, her best friend since fourth grade, and her new friend, Anissa Wire. Peyton and Anissa knew each other, but they weren't really friends. Well, let me tell you, nothing is ever peachy in a threesome like that. Agreed. Especially in middle school. Yeah, Anissa. Elementary. Middle school. They're in middle school. They're in sixth grade. I mean, especially in sixth grade. 
Yeah. Anissa was new to the school that year, and she and Morgan had become friends pretty early on. They both lived in the same apartment complex, and they rode the bus to school together every day. Do you remember sixth grade? Yeah. I mean, sixth grade was so volatile, we had our own campus. Look, I'm sorry. I was peaking in sixth grade, so I can't relate. I mean, really, I peaked in seventh grade. Seventh grade was really my year. I mean, it it was really my year, but I had a great time in sixth grade. Okay, well, sixth grade was like, they moved us onto our own campus. And I I knew I was going to remake myself. So I went by my middle name for a whole year. So I thought about doing that. I thought about like going by I wanted after I saw 10 things I hate about you, I wanted to change my name to Bianca, because that was the girl in it. Yeah. And then there were several names I went through. I thought about maybe going by Christy, like in the Babysitter's Club. Christy's Mm. real name Mm -hmm. was Kristen. I hated Chris, though. I never was going to go by Chris. Yeah, thank goodness. Man, I can't get over sixth grade. I mean, they were like, you know what? At, our, at my district, they were like, hormones are running wild. We're going to contain this to one building all by itself. <laughs> and then we will release these heathens after one year. But they, I mean, literally, they were like, we're building its own school for this madness. Yeah. Peyton sometimes thought that Anissa was jealous of her friendship with Morgan. She said Anissa yeah, she had... Is. I agree. Totally. <laughs> It's abs. I can guarantee you. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That yes. was my ninth grade year. <laughs> You're in everyone's journal, you know? Yes. Like, the diary is hot. Your Absolutely. name's in it. She said Anissa hadn't been very nice to her. And over the course of their sixth grade year, Morgan had kind of leaned more into her new friendship with Anissa and started pulling away from Peyton a little bit more. I'm sorry, what year? What You said 2014? Yeah. Oh, so they got social me- – oh, good yeah. night. They've got cell phones. And- they do. and I. But I also think that that's just kind of a normal transition that you make when you go to middle school is you kind of do start to veer away from your elementary friends a lot of times. You mm-hmm. know, you make other friends that you maybe have more in common with. Well, it also depends too. Like sometimes middle schools, like they split, you know, like our elementary got split between two middle schools. And I think that happens too. One thing Morgan and Anissa had in common was they did not make friends very easily. In fact, that's what had originally drawn Peyton to Morgan back in fourth grade. Morgan had seemed like a loner, and Peyton didn't want her to be alone, so she'd befriended her. But in sixth grade, Morgan had endured a lot of bullying. She'd always been quirky, always marched to the beat of her own drum. And then she met Anissa. Anissa's mom described her as somebody that had never been invited to a lot of birthday parties. God, mom coming in with the hot takes. <laughs> she did her no favors. That's what my mom would say. Oh, bless her heart. <laughs> okay, mom. She was an outlier. She'd had no solid connections with other kids in elementary school. And her teacher said that she would cry at least once a week about kids being <gasps> mean to her in school. Why are you laughing? Because Anissa is getting flamed by every adult in her life. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny, but... Yeah, she is. But she said that she and Morgan became like sisters. Great. The day before the stabbing, the day of the party, the three girls had all gone to Skateland. Morgan's dad, Matt, had driven them, and they'd stayed until around 9.30 when Morgan said she wanted to leave. They went back to Morgan's for a sleepover, and they goofed around on their iPads and cell phones until they eventually settled down together in Morgan's bed, Anissa and Morgan side by side, and Peyton horizontal along the head. Ugh, that rude. was a weird sleeping arrangement. Y'all couldn't yeah. sit three deep in a you can when they're 12 years old. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Make your ass a pallet on the floor. Right. 
That morning, the girls had all had breakfast and everything seemed normal. They were laughing. They were having fun. They were playing with silly putty and playing dress up. Morgan dressed up as Data from Star Trek. And Peyton dressed up like a pink princess in a pink princess dress. And Anissa dressed up as a character she created that she called a prostatrol. Oh. Morgan later said that it was sort of inappropriate. Oh, did she? Okay. Well. They had strawberries and donuts for breakfast, and Morgan asked her mom if they could go to the park. She'd never been allowed to go by herself to the park before, but her mom, Angie, figured she's 12 now, let her have some freedom. And she said, okay. Okay, again, not to pass judgment, but I love this, like, I'm not going to let my own kid go by herself, but if two other people's kids (laughs) are at risk, sure. Yeah, let's send them all to the park. (laughs) I don't feel like you can just sign off on that. (laughs) Yeah, well. That's why I don't have kids, though. You know, I'm not trying to be responsible. No. And when detectives came to her house to ask her about her daughter, she thought they were all still at the park. Yeah, that's not a good look, see? No. The detectives told her that there had been an incident at the park and one of the girls was hurt, but they wouldn't give her any more details than that while the detectives searched the house. Did they not even tell her it wasn't her daughter? No, I don't think they told her anything. I think they just said, there's an incident, one of the girls is hurt, and we need to search your house. But Angie had been telling the truth. The girls weren't there. So the detectives left Morgan's and they went to Anissa Wire's house, where they spoke to her mom, Christy, who was horrified to hear that the police are looking for the girls. She assumes that they're in danger, that they've been abducted. And so she goes and finds Anissa's phone at the house, and she starts going through it to see if she can find any clues as to where Anissa might be. And what she finds sends a shiver down her spine. She found a note in her phone that said, This is my final wish to those who care. Do not grieve my absence, but remember me for who I was. I love and cherish you all and wouldn't do you harm. Christy thought it sounded a lot like a goodbye letter, and she changed her theory from abduction to run away. That's well written for a 12-year-old. These girls are very smart, but part of me thinks she might have gotten that from somewhere, too. Do not grieve my absence, but remember me for who I was. I feel like that's a line from something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Police shut down the neighborhood searching for Morgan and Anissa. They called in additional resources like canine units, helicopters. They called in the media. It was a massive search. So don't call in the media. They usually blow it. Right? They'll find your shit, though, you know. Yeah, (laughs) I guess so. Yeah, they're usually (laughs) hot on the case. Yes. And then at 2.53 that afternoon, detectives got a call that the girls had been spotted sitting on the side of the freeway. They'd been walking for five hours and had made it to the north side of the city. They were picked up and taken to the police station. And at this point, Peyton is still in surgery. They don't know if she's going to make it through. So they don't know if they're picking the girls up for a homicide or what this would turn out to be. So they put Morgan and Anissa in separate interrogation rooms to figure out what the hell happened that morning. I'm like shocked. Do you like handcuff 12 year olds? Like, I mean, I just don't. Yeah, I I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. The detective interviewing Anissa thought for sure this is going to be about a boy. It was not about a boy. For once. Am I right? (laughs) These interviews are the most chilling things I've (gasps) ever seen or heard, especially Morgan Geysers. Anissa seems scared and like she's just kind of socially awkward. I mean, at certain points, her interview is also incredibly disturbing. Like when she was talking about the stabbing and she said, I don't like screaming. That's one thing I can't handle. But 
Morgan, you watch these? You could watch these? Mm-hmm. Yes. Everything is on the internet. Well, they're in the documentaries. So I watched oh. two documentaries. I watched the HBO documentary, Beware the Slender Man. I wouldn't recommend that one. ABC's 2020 actually did a two-hour episode on this, and you can watch it on ABC's website. And it's much better. It's way more informative than the documentary on HBO, which is strange because usually HBO documentaries are really, really good. What did you call this? Slunder or something? You texted. This is the thing you texted me. We'll get there. Yeah. You okay. Didn't know what it was. But I literally thought it was Slender Man. And I was like thinking about like some skinny dude. And I was like, remember I made a joke when you I didn't know what you were asking me about. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, Great. I will explain in a little bit. Okay. But Morgan is just so nonchalant in these interviews. She's so calm and relaxed. Like, she just seems bored as she recounts <sighs> how they tried to kill her friend. I need to see photos of these girls. I'll send so them you to you. Let me Google them, right? Okay. I'll send them you. to you. I'm going to send you, like, what they looked like then. Yeah, yeah. So 2014. Yeah. This is... They were 12. They're 19 now. Oh, wow. God, I don't know how you recover from that. Like... I'm 19, mm-hmm. but when I was 12, my friend tried to stab and kill me. Yeah, no kidding. Morgan asked the cop interrogating her, do you know what happened to Bella, which is Peyton? She's the one who was stabbed. Is she dead? The cop says he doesn't know. He just knows that she was taken to the hospital. And Morgan says, okay, I was just wondering. I didn't seem like she cared at all if Peyton was alive or dead can't imagine these cops. These cops are probably like, what oh, am I doing? I'm sure I'm they were crapping their pants. Like, yeah, 12-year-olds? What is like, this? I can't screw yes. this up. The cop asked her if she thinks the stabbing was right or wrong. And Morgan said, probably wrong. If, I was, if it was right, I wouldn't be here. Okay, so that she's admitting it? Oh, yeah. No, they tell the whole thing. In Anise's interrogation, she just wanted to know how far they'd walked. She said because she's usually not that athletic. So she wanted to know how far, <laughs> if the detective knew how far they'd walked. Oh, God. These girls are yeah, unhinged. Morgan and Anissa's parents were notified that the girls were there talking with police, but they were interrogated without their parents present because the law in Wisconsin says that they can do that. Oh. The parents, however, didn't know that. The police thought the girls understood their rights and that they had made a conscious choice to waive their rights. Or so he says. PSA to all our Wisconsin listeners. Yeah. But I'm like, how can a 12-year-old choose to waive their rights? Like, they can't even legally enter into a contract. It's just wild Yeah, they definitely don't understand. I don't know that in a state of trauma, I would understand. No. You know? Like, mm mm-mm. Anyway. The detectives slowly start to get a picture of what actually happened, and they discover that Morgan and Anissa had been planning this for six months. Shut up. There were code words they would use when they talked about the plan if they were around other people, like cracker meant knife and itch meant kill. Those are awful code words. Yeah, they're not great. Their original plan, which Morgan said in the interview, was a flawless plan, actually was that at the birthday party, they would wait until Peyton had fallen asleep. Then they'd duct tape her mouth shut while she was sleeping, stab her in the neck, put blankets on her so it looked like she was sleeping, and then run away. But Anissa said they were too sleepy to stay up that late because they'd been at Skateland and they got really tired, so they changed the plan. Oh, it wasn't that, like, you were in your parents' house? No. That's not what... Yeah, but in in Morgan's interview, she said the plan changed because she wanted to give Peyton one more day. 
Ew. Yeah. So that she could spin at a skate rink? Oof. Well, one more day after the skate rink. Because, yeah, probably, yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Or, she said, or maybe even put it off forever, but it didn't seem to work out like that. There's nothing going on in your life at 12 years old that Uh you need to, there is just nothing. You can't convince me that your life is that bad. (laughs) So then they woke, no. Then they woke up the next morning and they turned back into normal 12-year-olds playing dress up. While Peyton is putting on the pink princess dress in the bathroom, Anissa and Morgan are coming up with a new plan to kill her. They decided they'd do it in the bathroom at the park because there were public bathrooms at the park and there was a drain in the floor of the bathroom. So it would be the perfect spot. It makes me so sad. It's wild. They had their breakfast. They're laughing. All of them having a great time. Peyton has no idea. Yeah, like, were they nice to her? Like, were they having fun at the yes. skate thing and at night? Like, yes. She thinking she's just hanging out with her friends? Yes. Well, don't catch me hanging out at Chelsea's with you anytime soon. Could you imagine what that would do to you? And, like, your friendships? No. Yeah, no. I mean. I'm not hanging out with anyone ever. Well, how do you trust anybody ever again? Like. Right, you don't. <laughs> anyway, and then Morgan asked if they could go to the park. Her mom said, of course. And Morgan said goodbye, told her she loved her, and grabbed a large knife from the kitchen. As the girls walked to the park, Morgan and Anissa hung back a bit, with Peyton walking in front of them, and Morgan lifted her jacket and showed Anissa the handle of the knife. And Anissa said she was thinking, dear God, is this really going to happen? Meanwhile, Peyton thinks she's just going to the park to play with her friends. She brought her American Girl doll to this sleepover. Like, she thought it was going to be dolls and dress-up. She gets stabbed 19 times. 19. Oh, I know. They played on the playground for a while, and then they went into the public bathroom at the park, all three of them. They went into a stall and locked the door, but they started to get cold feet. Anissa read that it's easier to kill people when they're asleep or unconscious because when they're awake, you can see yourself in their eyes, and you don't want to be killing yourself. So she asked Peyton if she could put herself to sleep. In the bathroom stall? In the bathroom stall, yeah. Peyton had no idea what was going on. She didn't want to go to sleep in the bathroom or sit there with her eyes closed. So Anissa hit her with her fist against her forehead. So her head kind of banged into the concrete wall behind her. But she wasn't really hurt. And Morgan started falling apart. She started pacing back and forth and singing. And Anissa sent Peyton outside so that she could comfort Morgan. She said she had to pet her like a cat. (gasps) I I am disturbed. Yeah, it's weird. They came out of the bathroom and told Peyton that they were going to go play hide-and-seek in the woods at the edge of the park. Peyton didn't really want to play, probably because hide-and-seek is the most stressful game of all time. Yeah, and then you add the woods to that and this girl that just punched you. Yeah, and like, I'm sure she's picking up really sketch vibes, you know? Yeah, for sure. We used to play hide-and-go-seek in the dark, my older brother in the house, and Mm -hmm. nine times out of ten, he'd pop out and scare me, and it was Mm. terrifying. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. So stressful. So stressful. All right, so Peyton didn't really want to play hide-and-seek, but Anissa said the next game could be her choice if she played hide-and-seek now, and so Peyton agreed. Morgan was going to be it, so Anissa and Peyton ran to hide, and Anissa was pulling Peyton deeper and deeper into the woods, getting ready to carry out Plan C. Morgan, in her interview, said, people who trust you become very gullible. And I didn't even know what the word gullible meant until ninth grade. Yeah. So. I hate this girl. Yeah. 
In her interview with Detective Michelle Trissoni, Anissa described it as Peyton would hide, and Anissa and Morgan were going to chase her down like lionesses chasing down a zebra. That's what she said. Okay. One too many Lion Kings. Yeah. So after she pulled her deeper into the woods, Anissa tried to tackle Peyton, but she couldn't hold her down. Morgan found them and gave Anissa the knife and said, I can't do it. You know where all the soft spots are. <gasps> Why? But Anissa gave it back, saying she was too squeamish. She didn't want to do it either. While all of this is going on, Peyton is crouched in the dirt playing with flowers. Like, I thought she was being tackled. Well, but she couldn't hold her down. She's not that athletic. Right. So, like, she's just, like, she's not running. She's just sitting there and no one's holding her yeah, down. Yeah, I don't think she – she has no idea what is about to happen. Like, she does not know why her friends are being so weird. But she doesn't see the knife. I guess the knife isn't out. I thought the knife was out. Well, they were handing it back and forth. Yeah. Okay, then the girl needs to get up and go. Yeah, I don't know. Morgan said to Anissa, I'm not going to do it until you tell me to. And so Anissa started walking away. Like when she was like five feet away, she said, Kitty, now. Go ballistic. Go crazy. Make sure she's down. Morgan pushed Peyton over and said, don't be afraid. I'm only a little kitty cat. And then she got on top of Peyton's legs. She got her face really close to Peyton's face and whispered, I'm so sorry. And then started stabbing her. <gasps> over and over and over again. 19 times. She oh stabbed God. her in her arms, her legs, her abdomen. She punctured her stomach, her liver, her pancreas. Mm. She barely missed that major artery in her heart by less than a centimeter. Morgan said it didn't feel like anything. It was like stabbing air. And Anissa said Peyton was screaming in agony. Peyton was screaming, I hate you. I trusted you. The detective asked Morgan if she felt bad that she had stabbed one of her best friends. And Morgan said, I thought about it. But then I decided that remorse would get me nowhere. It's easier to live without regrets. Okay. Mm -hmm. This girl. Mm -hmm. It's actually not true. But yeah, no, it's not. He asked her what she was trying to do when she stabbed Peyton and Morgan said, kill her. I might as well say it. I was trying to kill her. Yeah. I mean, well, why? Why? Well, that is the question that we're going to get to in two paragraphs. <laughs> oh, hurry. When they asked Anissa what she'd wanted to happen, she said, the bad part of me wanted her to die. The good part of me wanted her to live. Well, once Morgan stopped standing, Peyton tried to stand up, but she couldn't see. She couldn't walk. She couldn't breathe. Anissa and Morgan told her that she should lay down. She'd bleed out slower, and it would give them time to go get help for her. But they had no plans on going and getting help. They wanted her yeah, to die. she wouldn't need help. Right. They finally ran off, and Peyton managed to get to her feet, grabbing onto a tree for support, and crawled using every single bit of strength she could possibly muster running entirely on adrenaline, I'm sure. Yeah, you go, Peyton. Because yes. if she doesn't get to the edge of the... I mean, she would have just laid there. That would... Her saving grace is she got out of the woods. Yes. Yeah. She managed to make it to the road where she was found. So what the cops really want to know at this point is why. Why would two 12-year-old girls suddenly up and decide to plot the murder of their friend? The detective asked Morgan this, and she said, because it was necessary. Four? He asks, why was it necessary? And Morgan says, 
because he'd kill our families. The detective says, who is he? And Morgan says, a man. I didn't know him. Anissa knew him. (gasps) And then she starts telling the most bizarre story. And next door, in Anissa's interrogation, she's telling the same story. And it all started with the fictional internet meme, Slender Man. So I texted you to see if you knew this case. I texted you and I just said, hey, does the word Slender Man mean anything to you? And you had no idea what I was talking about. So I said, excellent. She does not know this story. (laughs) Shocker. Slender Man is like a mix between the Pied Piper and the Boogeyman. And he can be different to every person. According to Anissa, he's between 6 and 14 feet tall. He always wears a suit. And he's faceless with long limbs. He can release tendrils from his back to strangle his victims. And he targets children the most. This is like a Bogart. Bogart and Harry Potter that like changes to whatever. No, not in that way necessarily. He always looks the same, mostly. But because Slender Man is faceless and because he doesn't speak, he can basically be anything you imagine him to be or want him to be. He could be the creature that lives in your closet. Okay, okay, stop. Your girl is scared of the dark. Or the I get it. guy in the windowless white van, which was an actual example used in the oh, documentary. <laughs> the faceless stranger that kidnaps kids. But in some stories, Slender Man was bullied in school, so kids who have trouble socially would turn to him, someone who they felt could protect them. But unlike the Boogeyman or the Pied Piper, you can trace the actual origin of Slender Man. You can see exactly where and how and why it started. And it started because of a paranormal Photoshop contest on the Something Awful forums back in 2009. The contest asked participants to turn ordinary photographs into creepy-looking images through digital manipulation of the photos. But the biggest part of the contest was that you then had to pass those photos off as authentic photographs on different paranormal forums. So contest participants started sharing these Photoshopped images usually along with some made-up witness account to make it more convincing. Mm -hmm. On June 10th, 2009, a user named Eric Knudsen, using the screen name Victor Surge, posted two black-and-white photographs of children. One was like a group of kids just walking down like what looks like a park with trees and stuff in the background. And the other one was at a playground, kids playing on the playground. And he'd inserted Slender Man into the background of the picture. They're really creepy photos. I mean, he did a really good job with what the contest was supposed to be. And the description of the pictures hinted that the children in the photographs hadn't been seen since that picture was taken. Ah. Like Slender Man had taken them. Ah. The next day, Eric continued the myth of Slender Man by adding more pictures and a fake doctor's account. And by the day after that, it had taken on a life of its own. People from all over were taking off with the story, coming up with their own Slender Man photos and stories. Games spun off from Slender Man, like Minecraft, and then it spread to every available platform and medium on the web. It was on Tumblr, DeviantArt, 4chan, YouTube. I'm sorry, did this guy win some money? I mean, not that. I just <laughs> I know, feel like normally I don't think there's so. like some type of. Oh. I don't know. I don't know what the contest was. Maybe. I'm not sure. He should win. I hope he won. YouTube was like the universal hub. Non-English speakers got in on the story, and it spread all over the world. 
people were making like Blair Witch style videos of Slenderman sightings. Like, and I think a huge part of it was to try to make it all look as realistic as possible. And there's a lot of debate and discourse on whether or not the girls really did believe in Slenderman or not. And obviously, I'm not them. I don't know if they did or not for sure. I know what I think. And I think that there are a lot of things that are unexplainable. And as humans, we have a history of making stuff up to explain it. There are tons of people who believe in the Loch Ness Monster and believe in Bigfoot. So is it that hard to believe that they really thought Slender Man was real? No, but what does that have to do with killing your friend? Well, Anissa and Morgan were obsessed with Slender Man. That's really what had bonded them so early on in their friendship. Anissa introduced Morgan to Slender Man. And so then Morgan starts talking about how she knows that she saw Slender Man when she was five and how she's been seeing him in her dreams. And that means that he's stalking her. Morgan's parents knew about her interest in Slender Man, but they didn't see the harm in it. They never thought for a second that she thought it was real. They just thought it was a kid that likes scary stories like a lot of kids do. Morgan's mom, Angie, she tells the story in every single interview she does about how she was reading Stephen King's It when she was that age. She liked scary stories, too. Morgan said that she was convinced that if she didn't kill Peyton for Slender Man, that her family and her loved ones would be in danger. She said that he watches her, and he can read her mind, and he also has teleportation skills, so he can find her anywhere. God, that's terrifying. Anissa said that Morgan told her they should become proxies to Slender Man, which are like servants or apprentices for him. And to do that, they would have to kill somebody, not Peyton specifically. And I think that they chose Peyton because she was accessible. She was somebody yeah, that they could get alone that wouldn't they trust her. Yes. Morgan was especially enthralled with the idea of moving into Slender Mansion, which was supposedly Ew. in the middle of Nicolette National Park. It's where Slender Man lives. And as proxies, they would live there with him. So they think that this elusive character also just has a permanent resident somewhere like yes they do yes okay that's correct cool, cool, cool. that's correct Moga. cool 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 anisa wanted to prove the skeptics wrong to prove that slender man did exist and they thought they had to kill someone to do that anisa was excited by the idea they'd been planning it since december when they'd left Peyton in the woods and took off on foot down the interstate, they were trying to get to Slender Man's mansion in the woods. That's where they were heading. Oh. That's where they were heading for. Is that in the same state? Like, Slender Man just happens to live in the same state? Yeah, it's in Wisconsin. That would be a three-day walk, though. That just seems very convenient that... um He lives in the same state. Yeah. 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 How lucky for you. Throughout the interviews, it becomes clear that Morgan was the ringleader of this whole thing. The detectives could tell that Anissa was being honest in her interviews and that Morgan was lying the whole time. Anissa would tell the detectives that Morgan had done things, but she'd also fess up when it was her. Like, Anissa was asked if she thought Morgan was entirely to blame, and Anissa said, no, if I had never shown her Slender Man, this never would have happened. But Morgan was over there trying to throw all the blame onto Anissa, saying Anissa told her to do this or that. She told detectives, both her and Anissa stabbed Peyton, which isn't true. And when the detective asked Morgan, okay, well, who stabbed Peyton first? Morgan said, well, how am I supposed to know something like that? It was either Anissa or me. It was one of those two. 
Well, that's how you're supposed to know. <laughs> yeah, because you were there. <laughs> yeah, it was either you or it wasn't. And there's one knife, <laughs> so it's not like you're both doing it at the same time. But they know that Morgan did all the stabbing because Peyton had told the detectives before she was put under anesthesia. They know what happened. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. Morgan told detectives it was Anissa who had the knife. She told detectives it was all Anissa's idea. But that wasn't true. Morgan was the one who grabbed the knife from her kitchen. She's the one who hid it in her jacket. Anissa knew the knife was there and what they were planning to do with it. I'm not saying that Anissa's innocent in all of this. But I think Morgan knew exactly what she was doing in that interview. Right. She even asked the detective at one point, are you trying to get me to tell this story over and over again to see if I tell it differently? Oh, my God. Yeah. Throughout her interview, Morgan showed a knowledge of police tactics because that is an interrogation technique that police use. Yes. And the criminal justice system. And it was clear she'd done research on past cases. This was not your average 12-year-old. Right. Peyton was out of surgery and recovering, but still in the hospital and not completely out of the woods. Detectives charged Anissa and Morgan with attempted first-degree murder and set their bail at a million dollars cash, which meant that they couldn't use a bail bondsman to bond out. Oh, that's what that means? Yeah. I didn't know. They need, I had to look it up because <laughs> I didn't know what it meant either. Well, how do you think that conversation between the parents is going? Like, surely... Morgan's mom has called Peyton's mom. No. I mean, like, I need to know about that. What would you say? Like, what would you possibly say? I don't know, but it'd be a phone call, not a text. Like, whatever, Rebecca's a how. I don't know. You know, like, I I don't know what you say, but you got to do something. The only person that ever talked about the parents, like the other parents of the other girls, and not just about how it affected them, was... Peyton's mom, and she didn't have very nice things to say, so. Well, (laughs) yeah, imagine that. Wisconsin law requires that Morgan and Anissa be tried as adults, so they were facing up to 65 years in prison. Wait, why can they be tried as adults? So this law in Wisconsin basically states that if a certain offense is committed by a person over the age of 10, 
They're immediately tried as an adult. The law was a part of this Get Tough on Crime initiative, and the goal was to say, even if you're young, if you commit a horrible, heinous crime, you're still going to be treated like an adult. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm guaranteeing you that there's not a single person that passed that bill that took a single child development class ever in their entire, like, history of life. Their lawyers would immediately submit appeals to get the girls' cases into juvenile court, where if they were found guilty, they'd be released at 18. In the meantime, they were kept in Washington County Juvenile Jail, where there are no mental health treatment providers on staff. They were allowed two visits a month from their parents, where they would be in a room divided by a glass partition. They wouldn't be able to touch their parents, and no other family could visit. And I know they did a horrible thing. But I couldn't imagine being 12 years old and spending years unable to hug my parents. Eh. They're 12. I don't give a shit. (laughs) I'm just saying that (laughs) certainly wouldn't help with any kind of rehabilitation, which, you know, is not the purpose of prison, but it should be. After the interviews, detectives set out to look further into the girl's background and see what they could learn. They told Morgan's parents not to touch her room, and they came to process the scene. They found all kinds of disturbing things in her room. Strange drawings, dolls that had been mutilated, like Barbie dolls with their hands, arms, and legs cut off. Come on, Barbara. Are you not going into Morgan's room ever? (laughs) Angie. Her name's Angie. Well. They also went through their lockers at school, and they found a treasure trove. Stacks and stacks of notebooks full of disturbing drawings and writings all about Slenderman. All of them were found in Morgan's locker, except for one notebook found in Anissa's locker. Angie should be looking in there. I'm just saying, like, I had one Bob Marley CD and my mom tore my room (laughs) up thinking that I smoked weed, you know? And we got people over (laughs) here stabbing each other and they're not looking through stuff. Yeah. And I think, you know, your reaction is like everybody else's reaction when this happened. Like, where were the parents? Why didn't the parents see this? And... Yeah, I think, like, first of all, they had their notebooks in their lockers, and they had all this other stuff, these dolls and everything, in the closet. So, yeah, they just weren't tearing up their room. Just always yelling where are the parents. Like, any show I watch, like, One Tree Hill or Pretty Little Liar, like, where are the parents in all of these right <laughs> things? Yeah, like, why are these Media children does- out here doing whatever they want? I think that it's really easy to blame the parents in this case because it's so hard. It can be hard to blame little kids. No. Oh, I'm blaming them, too. (laughs) Just out here dishing it out like I'm a lunch lady. I got blame for everybody. (laughs) Enough blame to go around. Yeah, I got a blame buffet going on. (laughs) (laughs) The blame buffet. I know. (laughs) I'm going to make that a segment of some. (laughs) That'll be on a t-shirt eventually. Welcome to the blame buffet. (laughs) $9.99. Kids eat free. Okay. Detectives also got a list of books that Anissa and Morgan had checked out from the library, and Morgan's list was incredibly eerie. She'd checked out books on the prison system, on crime scene investigation, on different mental health conditions. Did they have that in a middle school library? Or this is the public library? I assumed it was the middle school library because they were at the school with the lockers. It's almost as if she was trying to find answers to the question of what she should do after the murder. Like, what role should she play after the murder? 
I mean, if right. she wasn't 12 years old, you'd think she was a seasoned criminal. That's what it sounds like to me. They also looked through the girls' computers, iPads, email, social media, everything. And Anissa's social media is disturbing, to say the least, especially in retrospect. She commented on a video of a cat killing a mouse with the caption, I love how the cat beats the mouse to death. She took several are you a psychopath or are you a sociopath quiz and posted the results with captions like, they're coming to take me away. She posted awful jokes about putting babies in blenders. I mean, it's really like it's really bad stuff. Okay, again, welcome to the blame buffet. Where's her mom, Mm -hmm. guardian, support system? I know. I think it's hard because they say that they were there. I mean, they say they were there. They say they were involved. They say they saw these things, but they just... The babies in a blender? Those are like comments that she's leaving on YouTube. I don't think they're like checking every single video she's ever commented on. I think that they thought that she was a socially awkward kid and she had some interests that were weird. And, you know, she, I don't know. I don't think I would have necessarily done anything different in their shoes with the evidence that that they had. Listen, if you ever procreate, send your kids to Aunt Mogab's boot camp. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be sure. All right. On Morgan's computer, they found an email she'd sent to Anissa a week before the attack telling her to be sure to clear her browser history. (sighs) Come on, Anissa. A big indicator that she knew that Morgan knew that it was wrong. Well, yeah. They'd also found thousands of internet searches on Morgan's computer of things like how to get away with murder and what kind of insane am I? Wait a second. Morgan's over here telling Anissa to clear her browser history and she didn't even clear her own. Or they like found it. She thought she did and it was still cached or something. I don't know. Ugh, what a bossy. Way to be a hypocrite, Morgan. Yeah, you suck. God, clear your browser history. Something about cookies. I don't ever understand what cookies are, but I think they get you in trouble in real life and the internet. They sure do. <laughs> Meanwhile, Peyton was recovering well in the hospital. She spent seven days there after the attack, but she made a full recovery physically. She has scars and she's still dealing with the emotional damage, obviously. Oh, the scars. Like, to have to see that. I know. You know? Yes. After the stabbing, people would ask Morgan's mom, Angie, were there any warning signs, any red flags that you can see in hindsight? And the only thing Angie could pinpoint, or at least the story that she would tell over and over again, was that Morgan didn't seem to react the way that you would expect her to react at stories or movies. Like, if something happened to the main character, she wouldn't have empathy for them. She tells the story of when they watched Bambi together when Morgan was little, and she was really worried about showing Morgan the movie because she thought that Morgan would be really upset when the mother dies. Mm -hmm. It's an awful scene. You know, Bambi and his mom are running from a hunter who's shooting at them, and Bambi makes it to safety and then realizes his mom got shot. I don't know that I've ever seen Bambi. It's awful. I saw it when I was not even two. My mom always tells this story. She took me to the theater to go see it. She had no idea. She thought it was a (laughs) cute cartoon movie about a cute little deer. And I'm not even two. And I scream out just in complete horror at that part in the middle of the theater, like screaming over and over that Bambi's mommy was killed. And look at you now. And look at me now. Too much empathy over here. Just (gasps) bursting with compassion. Damn it. (laughs) But Morgan didn't react like that. You know, she just said... 
Run, Bambi, run. Get out of there. Save yourself. She wasn't upset about the mother dying. Like, think about Mufasa, okay? It's more traumatic than that. There's nothing more traumatic. Watch Bambi. It's horrific. Morgan was not upset about the mother dying. That was just one example of Morgan not reacting in a way that you would expect someone to react. Which we've talked about. This feels different, though. No, this is... Okay, so we have. We talk all the time about how... No. Behavior is not an indicator of guilt, necessarily. I mean, it can be an indicator, but it's not evidence of guilt. It can it can indicate. Mm-hmm. It's not evidence. But it is a huge indicator of mental health issues. And that's why her behavior is looked at here, not because, you know, we already know she's guilty. We already know she did it. It's right. the why. Did she really believe that Slender Man was going to kill her whole family? Or was she making it up and did it for another reason? That was a good explanation. Like, to phrase it like that. Thanks. A month after their arrest, a judge ordered a competency evaluation for Morgan, where she would spend several weeks at a state mental health facility, and she came out with three diagnoses. Schizophrenia, unspecified, oppositional defiant disorder, and bronchial asthma, mild, intermittent. Okay. <laughs> didn't, know that they, didn't know they'd get that taken care of there, too. <laughs> They're just, you know, there for the whole health. Yeah. Schizophrenia is one of the most serious and studied mental illnesses of human beings. It's a psychotic illness that affects approximately 1% of the population, and it's caused by a combination of genetic predisposition to schizophrenia and stress placed on the person that causes their symptoms to manifest. People with schizophrenia lose track of reality in a number of ways. It could be hallucinations where they hear voices, they see visions, they feel things crawling on them. But it can also be delusions. And delusions don't have to do with sensing something. They have to do with a thought. Believing in Slender Man is a delusion. Seeing him is a hallucination. Right. And Morgan said she did both. She also considered other fictional characters like Spock from Star Trek and Snape from Harry Potter to be friends of hers that she would talk to and have conversations with. And she said she never told anyone because she knew that other people didn't see them, but she believed that they're real. And if she told other people about them, they could be taken away from her. Not only was Morgan's situation unique because of how severe her schizophrenia was, But it was also almost unheard of to develop schizophrenia so young. It usually manifests in your early 20s. Childhood onset schizophrenia is very rare, 50 times lower than the one that comes in adulthood. Because it's so rare, it's also not studied very widely. But what I could find was that 50% of children with childhood onset schizophrenia had a parent that had a psychosis. 20% of them had a parent specifically with schizophrenia. And it turns out Morgan's dad has schizophrenia. So they knew it was a possibility of passing it on to Morgan because there's often that genetic component. But her dad is so high-functioning and stable that they knew if the time came, they could help Morgan and get her treatment. They just didn't expect it to come at 12. They were expecting it as an adult. Did her father have treatment? Is that why he's so high functioning? Yes. Yeah, he had. Yes, he was treated. And that is one thing I really want to point out because 
I think that there's a lot of misconceptions with schizophrenia. And schizophrenia in and of itself is not a dangerous illness. There are many people that are schizophrenic that don't have to be incarcerated, that are able to live fully functioning lives. But when your delusion tells you to kill people and when your insight doesn't allow you to go get treatment for your schizophrenia, that's when it becomes dangerous, when it's untreated. Oh, man. I I know. It complicates things a little bit. With your blame buffet. Okay, well, listen. <laughs> the one thing we are out of today is empathy. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> and I also think it changes things that Peyton survived. I think if Peyton had died, my empathy factor might be dialed down quite a bit. I don't know. I mean, I get, I understand that maybe Morgan and Anissa, I don't know her story yet, are not functioning at a capacity where they are able to tell right from wrong. I think they knew it was wrong. I think that they... Uh, Yeah, that's my issue. That's where I'm at, is like, there is no remorse or anything in this of like, immediately, what have I done? But also, I think that she was right in the middle of a complete psychotic break. She was in a psychotic state this whole time in the interview, in the stabbing. She's gone psychotic, untreated. And we'll get into a little bit more about it. But her dad was interviewed in the HBO documentary, and he talked about his schizophrenia. And he said it's hard because what he said, his actual, I didn't write this down, but his exact quote was, you know that the devil is not in the backseat, but the devil is in the backseat. And that's what it's like. Mm. And he said that after the stabbing, people would call the house and tell him that he's going to burn in hell. And so will Morgan, which can people just stop doing this, please? Like, Yeah, you're not helping anything. Peyton's family's not thanking you for doing that, you know. Yeah, the only people that can make that phone call are Peyton's family. Right. Okay. Right. And they're not. Morgan's dad said that people need to understand that Morgan loves Peyton. Like, she still talks about her like they're friends, like they're best friends. He said, so how sick must you be to do that to your best friend because of a delusion? Like, doesn't that show how sick she is? He says that even if you know your hallucinations aren't real, it still feels and smells and looks real. The psychiatrist stated that Morgan wasn't deviously planning this murder. She was feeling controlled by Slenderman. She felt she had no choice but to listen to him. Her behavior was directed by her psychotic symptoms, voices that were ordering her to kill someone. Morgan said she'd had hallucinations as early as three. She saw ghosts that would bite her and pull her hair. But they were friendly, too. She said she tried to tell her parents about it once, but her mom just told her to go back to bed. Her mom said she doesn't remember that happening. But she also said, you know, how many times does your child come to you and say they have a bad dream or they're scared of something and you tell them to just go back to bed? Morgan said she's had visual hallucinations, auditory hallucinations. And she told the psychiatrist that she wasn't worried about a long prison sentence because she could just use Vulcan mind control to make herself feel or believe whatever she liked. Where have I heard that before? It's from Star Trek. Oh, I've never seen that. (laughs) (laughs) Just pop culture, I guess. (laughs) Right, yes. So she didn't feel stressed about this whole situation because of the Vulcan mind control. The reason I know about Vulcan mind control is because of Jay and Silent Bob. They have this movie called Mall Rats that I'm sure you've never seen. I've heard of it, though. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I love that movie. 
And throughout the movie, there's a bunch of nods to Vulcan mind control. Silent Bob keeps trying to use Vulcan mind control. He ends up perfecting it at a certain point in the movie. It's really Is funny. Silent Bob really silent? Yes. Does he not speak? Yeah, he's oh. also the director, Kevin Smith. <laughs> he was also in an episode of Veronica Mars in the second season. So <laughs> I don't know how you wiggle that in as much as Taylor Swift in every episode. <laughs> Great job. Thank you. The guards at the jail said that Morgan's cell was very disorganized. She had papers scattered all over the floor. What do you mean? They shouldn't have anything in there. She said she likes the papers there because it makes the room feel less empty because I guess there's nothing else in there. What papers does she have in there? I don't know. Probably papers to draw with and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'd have that all over the floor, too, and I'm very clean. Yeah. Her primary concern was her relationship with Slenderman, and she felt like if she said the wrong thing or somehow upset Slenderman, her life and her family's life could be in danger. Morgan's mom said that Morgan spent the first 18 months after her arrest in a jail where she was in the middle of an acute psychotic state, and she was left there untreated. Yo, I'm not going to feel, this is, I'm not going to feel sorry. I just can't. I can't do it. She stabbed someone 19 times. Because of her schizophrenia that is being untreated in a jail with no mental health, anything. Yeah. I mean, she should definitely have some mental health treatment. I mean, that's the whole, like, foundational issues of every problem that we have is that we do not take mental illnesses seriously. We don't treat them like we should. And you put a kid in jail, a kid that at a competency hearing... They said she has schizophrenia. They diagnosed her with schizophrenia. And you just put her back in jail, untreat, no medication, nothing. Mm-hmm. It's just an awful picture of our criminal justice system. It just explains a lot, you know. Good job, system. Answer for your crimes. Answer for your crimes. <laughs> Anissa then had her competency hearing. And this one was really interesting. They found that she had characteristics that made her susceptible to delusion. She had a diminished ability to determine what is real and what is not real. But there's this term, fully ado. I'm probably saying that wrong. But it <laughs> it means... Should we Google it before you get on <laughs> I did Google it, but it's French and it's hard. <sighs> it means... Madness shared by two. And there are many examples throughout history of people experiencing this. But three different doctors all agreed that Anissa was suffering from a shared delusion with Morgan. I am too. I feel like that's what this podcast is. <laughs> Just a fully adieu. Should we have named it that? I mean, I feel like I was fine. <laughs> then I got roped into this. That would be a great podcast name. I agree. We could figure out yeah. how to say it right. <laughs> Maybe that's the, the best part of it. Oh, that we say it wrong? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just two Americans just ruining something else. Yeah. So what they say happened is you have this new girl come to school, Anissa, who's desperate for a friend, and she's introduced to a girl having major mental health problems, and they have this shared interest, and they're also 12 years old, so fantasy and imagination are still part of their lives. Like, Morgan just stopped believing in Santa Claus the year before, you know? Yeah, no kidding. In December of 2014, the girls were both found to be competent, which doesn't mean that they're mentally healthy. It just means that they were able to understand the charges against them and they're able to aid in their own defense. 
A few months after that, a preliminary hearing was held where excerpts from the interview tapes were shown and the judge found probable cause and they would be going to trial. It took nearly a full year from the time that they were arrested for the judge to reach a decision on trying them in juvenile court versus adult. The defense had tried to get the girls charged with second-degree intentional homicide, which would have required juvenile court. They were arguing that the girls were acting under a kill-or-be-killed belief, like they either had to kill Peyton or they were going to be killed by Slenderman, but the judge rejected it. He said that this was a violent, premeditated offense, that they made the conscious decision to let Peyton die. They left her there in the forest. He said the charges attempted murder, but this was an effort to kill someone. This wasn't a mistake, like pushing her too hard or something. He said if we just release them at 18, which is what would have happened if they were tried as juveniles, there'd be no oversight, no control, no ways to ensure public safety. So he ruled that they would be tried as adults, and he also ordered that they would have no access to the internet or to each other. But Peyton put it pretty succinctly. An adult crime means adult court. You tried to kill somebody. Sixteen months after the stabbing, the girls were arraigned and formally charged with first-degree intentional homicide. They were 13 at this time, and watching them come out in shackles, their arms shackled, their legs shackled, you know, they've got the waist chain. It's very jarring, you know, because they're so young. Experts testified that Anissa Wire was a very low risk of reoffending, but public opinion was really split. You know, you had your camp that felt that these girls were dangerous people that needed to be kept away from the rest of society. And then you had the other side that thought that these were children that needed help. And I'm, you know, I see both sides. (laughs) 20 months after their arrest, a judge finally sent Morgan to a state mental hospital where she got her first treatment for schizophrenia. 20 months. It would be another two years after that that the girls would finally go to trial. Wait, I thought they already went to trial. That's why they're in jail. No, they were arrested. So they're at the juvenile jail. They haven't gone to trial. But then they came out to court in shackles. Oh, that's when they were formerly charged. Because they spent a year debating on if they were going to put them in juvenile court or adult court. Where were they during that year? In the juvenile detention center. Yeah, because they had a million dollar cash bond. They couldn't get out. It would be another two years after that that the girls finally go to trial. Anissa's case goes to trial first. And by the time she gets up, she looks so different. Her hair, which had been cut, you know, kind of above her shoulders at the Mm -hmm. time of the attack, it's now like halfway down her back. And she just looks so much older. You know, she was 12 when she was arrested. She's 15. Yeah. By the time she's at trial. And by this time, when she came to this trial, she really seemed to get it. You know, she really seemed to get the gravity of what she'd done and what had happened. Yeah, because she's been away from Morgan. Uh, Yeah, and well, and treated maybe a little bit for the delusions. She pled guilty and she entered into a plea, but they still had to have a separate hearing to determine the punishment. They needed to determine if she was suffering from a mental disease or defect and should be held criminally responsible. The bulk of the defense's case was a string of mental health expert witnesses that all got on the stand, one after the other, just backed up the argument that Anissa was mentally ill. Prosecutors had a few tricks up their sleeve to prove that Anissa knew exactly what she was doing. Their theory was that she did this because she wanted to be Morgan's friend. 
not because she was delusional. In her interview, at one point, she seemed to contradict herself, saying that she didn't know that she was in danger until after Morgan stabbed Peyton. But several times throughout the interview, she was crying, saying that she thought she and her whole family would be in danger. So prosecutors used that statement to show that she's saying that she didn't know Slenderman was going to kill her family until after the stabbing. So that's not what motivated her to do this. They said her real motivation is that she's just an evil child. No, her... I believe they had zero expert witnesses testify to Anissa's (laughs) pure evilness. Yeah. (laughs) I think she wanted to be friends with Morgan and didn't probably think it was going to happen until she was too far in it. I think the fact that she so desperately wanted to be friends with Morgan is what made her more susceptible to the shared delusion that Slenderman was real. I really value our friendship, but <laughs> listen, you start trying to do some weird shit and you're on your own. You're well, on your me. own. Will you get me the help I need? Will you get me some treatment? I think we're too far gone for that. But yeah. <laughs> yes, I will. Thank you. Or at least just tell my mom you're concerned, you know? I yeah. Mean- I'm, listen, I need texting <laughs> Kathy. <laughs> on the side. The jury deliberated for 11 hours, and the verdict came in around 10.30 that night. Anissa was shaking in court as the jury read their verdict. She was found not guilty by mental disease or defect, and she was committed to a state mental institution. But the judge then had to decide what her sentence would be, and the prosecution argued strongly for 25 years, and that's what the judge committed her to. 25 years in a state mental institution. So what does that mean? Like you live there, you do everything there. Yeah, you stay there. Yeah, it's, yeah. All of the focus then shifted to Morgan Geyser. And it was clear to prosecutors that they were not going to be able to send Morgan to a prison when she's even more mentally ill than Anissa. So they cut Morgan a deal. At her sentencing hearing, Morgan showed emotion. She cried when she said she was sorry. And the judge sentenced her to 40 years in a mental institution. And she's already, what, 13, 14? At this time, she's 15. Right now, she's 19. She'll get out of there at 55. Yeah. They were both held at Winnebago Mental Health Institute, where they can hug their parents. I'm glad that that's really moving the needle for you. (laughs) Yeah, I think 12-year-olds should be allowed to freaking hug their parents. I don't care what they did. What if Peyton didn't get to hug her parents? That's all I'm saying. It's not an eye for an eye. I mean, this is not biblical. Look, you can't bully me into agreeing with you. (laughs) That's the beauty of this. You can't. You can't do it. I won't allow it. Okay. Well, Peyton took months to recover from the physical wounds. She slept in her mom's bed for a while. And the most recent update I could find of her was from 2019, when she was 17 years old. And she said that she still slept with a pair of broken scissors next to her, just in case. It makes her feel safe. She's not sure if she'll ever feel safe again. But she also said that she's thankful to Morgan for turning her into the person that she is today. And that she has a great life now because of what she went through. What Morgan did to her was awful and unforgivable, but it made Peyton stronger, and she likes that about herself. Now she says she's happy. She has good friends that she's learning to trust. Trust is still hard for her, but she's trying. Get a dog, Peyton. Yeah. Get a dog. She also understands that Morgan is schizophrenic, and she understands why she did what she did. But that only helps so much. 
Also, in a very sweet turn of events, Officer Dan Keith, the officer that was the first on the scene to find Peyton that day, he became the school officer at her school, so he could keep keep an eye on her, and they have a really good relationship. I love the school officers. I know. School officers at my high school. Major shouts. I know. You know who you are, and you know the trouble (laughs) you got me out of. I couldn't be more grateful. So... We do have some breaking news in this case, which is why I decided to do this. In March 2021, Anissa had petitioned for conditional release. So every six months, they can petition for release. Mm -hmm. So the last time she petitioned was March 2021, saying that she'd exhausted all her treatment options at Winnebago and she needed to rejoin society. The prosecutor said that Anissa was still dangerous and would have a hard time making friends which could lead her to associate with mentally disturbed people. Prosecutor's not looking so good. That's not a good look, prosecution. Yeah, I mean, like, it's just hard to make friends in general, okay? Not to mention when four years ago, expert witnesses testified that Anissa had a very low risk of reoffense. Yeah. But anyway, it's just a few days ago on July 1st, we're recording this on the 5th, on July 1st, the judge reached his decision and ordered the release of Anissa Wire after she'd spent mm. three and a half years in a state mental health facility. He said that prosecutors had failed to prove that Anissa remained a threat and that nothing suggests that she will hurt anyone again. She's not free yet, though. She's still in there. The state has 60 days to come up with a plan for her conditional release. So she'll be in the hospital until her hearing on September 10th. Once they decide on conditions of release, she will be free, but she will be assigned a case manager who will track her progress until she's 37, which was the length of her sentence. So it's like when the judge said he didn't want to try them in juvenile court because once they turned 18, they'd have no oversight, nobody checking in on them, nobody to make sure that they're, you know, okay and not going to be a danger Mm -hmm. to society. So this way, now they can, you know, keep track of them. And I'm sure this person's caseload isn't just overwhelming and that they'll be able to really, like, touch base with this person. So it's funny that you say that because a lot of people had similar reactions to that. And, yeah, our social workers are definitely underpaid and overworked and their caseloads are ridiculous. I have a feeling that the social worker for Anissa Wire... Yeah, Anissa's probably going to be like top of her caseload. You know, she's probably going to be that one that like she makes sure she doesn't slip through the cracks. It's like the kid you pull close to the teacher's desk. Right. Like, I just have a feeling. And I, I'm not sure how I feel about Anissa being released. But actually, no, I am. Same. I am sure how I feel about Anissa being released. And this is how I feel. I feel very strongly that our criminal justice system should be geared more towards rehabilitation for people that can be rehabilitated. And I think two 12-year-old girls suffering a delusion and doing a horrible, horrible thing can be rehabilitated. I don't think they need to spend the rest of their whole lives locked away. And I think that if she, you know, I don't know anything about this hospital. I think that this case is under a lot of scrutiny. And I feel like, you know, I would hope That if all our ducks are in a row and everything's working as it should, that these doctors had, you know, determined that there's no treatment left. Like, there's nothing else that we can do for her. She's good. Then, you know, she can come. 
Well, you know what I have to say to that? What? And Adnan's still in jail, everybody. <laughs> okay? That's how I feel. And Richard Glossop's still on death row. Um, so. <laughs> Just, like, end everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I also understand the people that, you know, are upset about her getting released. Do you? Because I feel like a lot of shades coming through at me right now at the Blaine Buffet. I'm serving up hot and no, fresh. No, you're right. I I kind of think, I kind of think that if people think that prison should be for rehabilitation, you have to be okay with her being released. If you think that prison, that the whole purpose of prison is a punishment, then yeah, I can see why you would be upset that she's not continuing to be punished. Morgan has also been trying to appeal her sentence. She's saying that she shouldn't have been tried in adult court in the first place. And she's saying that her statements to police after she was arrested, that whole interview, should have been suppressed, which honestly, I totally agree with that. I can't believe those officers got away with interviewing those 12-year-old girls without a parent present. That's crazy to me. me. And then they said that they could understand their rights. They thought Slender Man was real. Like, get out of here. They can't understand what it means to waive their rights. They're 12. Anyways, the courts feel differently, as I'm sure most people listening to this do, because her petition was denied. So she remains <laughs> in the mental health hospital, which is good, I think. And that's fine. You know, yeah. That's where, honestly, if, if you and I have to agree to disagree on this, then and now, that's I think that if they stay. if they feel that Morgan... Like, I certainly don't want Morgan to get off on a technicality, but this is why they shouldn't have used those interviews, because I could see her being able to get out of this because they interviewed her when she's 12 without a parent. And I know that there's a law in Wisconsin that says that they can do that, but I could just see them being able. Why not just wait? Like, I would just wait. Like, the parents. No, they did it on purpose. They did that on purpose because they said that they would speak more if their parents weren't there. And I'm like, yeah, bro, that's the whole problem. Right. And I get that they think, like, because that law is in place, that's the good idea. But I could see... What if the law gets overturned and then she's able to appeal it later? That's what I'm saying. I mean... Just wait for her parents. Like... I would much rather her get released because doctors said, you know, she's been treated for her mental illness. We think that she can integrate back into society. I'd much rather her get released because of that than get released prematurely because... They interviewed her when they shouldn't, and that should have been suppressed. I can't wait for this rabbit hole I'm about to go down. <laughs> well, that is the attempted murder of Peyton Lautner and the Slenderman so stabbings. Hey, peeps and creeps, thanks so much for listening. We'd love for you to follow us on social media at Creepers Pod and, of course, join the Facebook discussion group. You can also email us any feedback, case suggestions, or just drop in and tell Kristen and I hi at creeperspod at gmail.com. Also, a huge thanks to everyone who left us a review on Apple Podcasts. We're over 200. We are over 200. We're ecstatic about it. They really help us out in a big way. And I think we should up our goal. What do you think our new goal should be? 250? Tired of all these goals. 250. We're goal diggers. Don't, don't say it. <laughs> I knew it. All right, 250. 300? 250. 300. 300. All right. We won't be setting a new goal for a while. <laughs> Fine with it. Fine with it. They help us out in a big way. So if you liked this episode and you have an iPhone, we would really love it. We'd really appreciate it if you would take a minute and give us a five star rating and a review. And. 
Be sure to subscribe to True Crime Creepers so you'll have our next episode as soon as it drops, where I'll tell Mogab another wild story. Hey, and buy some merch, too. Buy some merch. (laughs) Bye, peeps and creeps.